0: This is a Fubar Radio podcast. If you need any more information, head to FubarRadio.com.
1: Fubar Radio and UN Women UK present a live 24 hour radio show. 24 hours. uh,
2: You don't have to forget. Just remember the Sunday, all right? (laughs)
3: There we go, that's underneath it all. By no doubt, if you have just joined us, welcome. Uh, this is, well, this is Foo Bar Radio. I'm Rachel Downey. I'm joined by Faith Orr. I didn't add lovely then, I do apologise, Faith. I mean, it's just I'm dead to you now. I can yeah. see it in the eyes. See it in the yeah. eyes. I was dead to her when I mentioned we had wine. Um, <laughs> this is the um our live twenty-four hour marathon show, all in aid with the he for she campaign, um, thanks to UN Women UK. Um, on the phone lines right now, however, we have Rose from Goodwitch. Rose, hello. Hello. Oh, Rose, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today?
2: Well, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? Are you tired yet? It's late there,
3: huh? Uh, Yes, it's 3 a.m. I started at 5 p.m. I'm doing all right. I've got two hours, and then I know I'm halfway. I kind of keep telling (laughs) myself when I get to that halfway line, I don't know, actually. I oh wake up and I'll be amazing. Um, but Rose, it's great to have you um, to have you here, and I've I've been uh, reading up a lot about your music. Um, you're inspired by Riot Girls as well as the incredible PJ Harvey. Um, tell us, tell us about your music.
2: Well, you know, this is like the hardest question for for musical artists, you know. But I think. Um, I would say that my music is either dreamy mood pop or moody dream pop
0: Um, (laughs) with edge,
2: you know, depending on the on the song. But uh, yeah, let's say dreamy mood pop,
3: dreamy mood pop. And it says here you're inspired, like I said, by the right Girls, but less abrasive. Good Witch doesn't mince words or make excuses, crafting songs like Imagine Conversations. Messages are left on Nick Cave's answering machine in the middle of the night. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, wow, you you got that from my Facebook. I love that. I, I think like that it. needs
0: explanation.
3: Yes. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit more about that, please? And please tell me you do leave messages on Nick Cave's answering machine. God, I wish. Yeah, <laughs> I
2: wish. Uh, well, you know, maybe one day. Life is long, right? It's true. Uh, no, you know, I, um, I feel like uh, I write in a very confessional style mm-hmm. and frequently you know, sort of directly addressing a you, whoever that you is, you know, and uh, I sort of the only way I know how to be in life and in music is brutally honest, so, hmm. you know, for better or for worse, uh, yeah, you know what I mean, so it's always kind of just all out there w exactly what I'm feeling and in uh, no uncertain terms, I think.
3: So how did you get involved in the music industry? Is music something, you know, have you always, say, written your music as, as a child? How did you get involved?
2: Um, actually, you know, I started writing... Um, I started writing songs when I was, I think, 14, 13 or 14 years old. And actually, before I really even played an instrument, um, I started learning guitar so that I could write better, you know, mm. accompanying myself. And... Uh, and I was really into it in high school and that's, you know, I, but I wrote all these songs that I actually never played for anyone. Um, I played in bands, but we played like classic rock covers, <laughs> you know? Um <laughs> that's good So vibes. I had this, yeah, right. So I had these notebooks full of material that never saw the light of day. And then after high school, I actually stopped playing music for about eight years, um, because I started pursuing filmmaking mm. and, uh, And then, you know, after I'd been in L.A. for a few years, I I met uh, this girl through work and I was hanging out with her and her boyfriend was like, hey, we're starting a band. Um, You should play with, you say you used to play bass, you should play with us. And I'm like, dude, I haven't played in eight years. And he's like, eh, it's fine. And I mean, from that point on, it just became the central focus of my life. Um, Mm. Yeah.
3: (laughs) And how important is it to write your own material as a singer? How important is it?
2: Well, you know, I've recently gotten um, more into, you know, more into the idea that you can write for other people and other people can write for you. You know, Mm. there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I think I sing with much more conviction when it's my story, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's from the Um, heart, isn't it? Right, right.
3: Um, and it says here that you're releasing a gritty cover of Olivia Newton-John's Physical in April
2: oh yes I'm very excited about that well tell us more about it well I got the idea actually um I I heard the song just randomly and I had never really listened to the words before mm. uh, especially to the verses and I'm like man this is a really dirty song and and uh And it just kind of like, for whatever reason, the mind space I was in at that time, I was just hearing this very nine inch nailsy kind of like synth based thing happening. And I thought that would be so amazing to to make this like really dirty, nasty cover of that song, because even though if you look at the cover for that record, it's Mm -hmm. wonderful and it's definitely, you know, sexy and everything, but um, but her style was so wholesome and so I just went really nasty with it. Brilliant,
3: that's brilliant, and that comes out. Did you say? In, well, did I say in April?
2: It does come out in April, and I wish I could tell you the exact date, but um, I this is so ridiculous. This is the this is the behind the scenes uh, VH1 behind the music. I'm uh, currently trying to get Spotify to fix my artist name. Oh really? <laughs> yes, oh, and believe okay. it or not, get on Spotify. Yeah. Right so believe it or not um the like the submission of the track mm. cannot proceed until they've fixed my artist name.
3: (laughs) Well, it's going to be really... We'll find out. As soon as we find out, we will uh, put something out on our socials. Um, But uh, you will be releasing that in April time. Um, I believe... um, Do you know, actually, um, for young females wanting to come through and and break into the music industry, what advice would you
2: give them? Oh, man. (laughs) Well... Run. I mean... (laughs) I think, in a way, but no, uh, I think that if the music is in you, you know, you can't mm-hmm. not do it. Um, if you look at someone, I mean, you know, the greatest success story probably in music, or one of them, you know, somebody like Lady Gaga, you know, for her, I, I truly believe that she'd be dancing around in a meat dress, whether someone was paying her to do it or not. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really what you have to have because it is very hard and you face tons of rejection or just indifference. And you really, you have to just love music so much that it doesn't matter mm. if anyone else is paying attention. That, um, I, think that's the, <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing. But, you know, I'd, I'd kind of like to shout out, um, in Los Angeles right now, there's this amazing uh, moment happening um, with all these female-fronted, female-owned, female-operated um, sort of musical entities these concert promoters and uh, event organizers and even producers and bands and um, bloggers uh, and they're and, you know it's sort of this woman power explosion in the LA local music scene and I I would say like get into that community you know C- cultivate the community of women in music mm. and, and you know Draw from it, you know. I think that's, I think that's the best thing you can do for yourself. Rose, I
0: just have to ask you. I mean, you said they're doing a cover of Olivia Newton-John, and you compared her to Nine Inch Nails. I think that's probably the first time I've ever (laughs) heard that. Um, You know. Oh, it gosh, I'm not
2: comparing her at all. No, 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 it, it, it I, I don't mean you, like a really <laughs> I, I'm not saying you're
0: comparing her, but what I mean is like you heard it and you're going to do the cover and that, that kind of dirty style. But is that the first time you've ever listened to music that previously you might have thought was quite kind of wholesome and thought, actually, I can turn this around, I can do mm-hmm. something different with it?
2: Yeah, Um. no, I, I frequently will listen to, you know, listen to other songs and think, uh, you know, of how, like, you know, a different direction for it. I mean, I think that's the great thing about a great mm. song, right, is that um, you change the arrangement a little bit and it can be this whole new thing. Although, um, I will say, when I approached my producer with that idea, he was extremely skeptical. <laughs> can't imagine why. No,
3: I have no idea why. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know. Extremely skeptical until I sent him a demo and and I think then he kind of got it and was like, and got excited mm-hmm. about it. Um, but there's actually, he um, used the same um, sampling machine that Trent Reznor has used on, you know, many, many nine inch Nails tracks, like closer and created this insane synth part with samples of like lions roaring and like celery crunching and all kinds of, and like, I think uh, lightning strikes. It's, it's, you know, it's subtle and textural, but it's, really bananas i love it
3: well look um rose um actually before we do
2: say our farewells where did the name Goodwitch come from well you know i was looking for something that kind of um conveyed the idea that you know conveyed some sort of duality between um goodness and wickedness uh you know and definitely a uh, communicated some darkness um, but uh, and you know maybe that was a little tongue-in-cheek a little bit um, Mm -hmm. yeah a little tongue-in-cheek because I'm not that good I'm really (laughs) kind of a bad bitch when it comes down to it good (laughs) Um, (laughs) but believe it or not I had trouble finding a band name that uh, was not already taken by um, a Scandinavian dark metal band so good which it was (laughs) I think that's
3: brilliant do you know what? Thank you so, so much um, for talking, up, talking to us. Um, I was going to say this morning, but for you it will be this evening. Um, we are going to um, end our interview with yourself by playing your song. Um, Rose from Good Witch. thank you. We are going to play all of this and more. Thank you very much, Rose.
2: Thank you. Bye, Rose. Bye-bye.
3: That was all of this and more by Goodwitch. Now, FUBAR presenter, the wonderful Harriet Rose, who joined me at the start of this broadcast, and she did, and she was a very good helping hand. Uh, She caught up with TV presenter and all-round amazing woman, June Sarpong MBE, prior to this show. They spoke about her book, How Women's Equality Means Equality for All, and so much more. So enjoy.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very excited to be chatting to the one and only, one of the most recognisable faces on British television. June Sarpong is joining us on Fubar Radio. How's it going? I'm good, Harriet. All the better for speaking to you. How are you? I'm really good, and I've been. I'm so excited to chat to you because the work that you've been doing um, in your career, and of course, obviously, I've 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 grown up watching you on TV, and but also I've been hearing all of this incredible stuff that you've been working on with women throughout your career. Obviously, you've just released your book, "Diversify Six Degrees of Integration," which is incredible. Mm. I haven't actually managed to read it yet, but I'm literally as soon as I get off the show, I'm going to read it because it sounds incredible. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um,
4: and I've been learning all about it today. But firstly, I wanted to talk a little bit about, because you, obviously you've got an MBE. You've been an MBE for a long time now. Tell me, does that change a person? Do you feel different? Do you wear a crown around the house? Like, how does it work?
5: <laughs> of course. I so, uh, wear a crown, and sash, the whole world. Um, <laughs> uh, no, not at all uh, <laughs> is the answer to that. <laughs>
4: But it must have been an incredible um, feeling, being given that um, that sort of accomplishment by. Yeah. Obviously, you work a lot with Prince Charles, anyway.
5: Yes. Um, Yeah. It was wonderful. I mean, at the time, um, I was on holiday when they called me, um, and uh, the call came through, and I thought it was one of my friends, like teasing me (laughs) or winding me up, and they were like, uh, and and at first I was kind of worried because imagine I was in Malaysia. And I get a call, like from this real official sounding call. You know, it's a British, it's the Foreign Office. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what have I done? <laughs> you know, was there accidentally something in my bag? Like I'm like freaking out. And then and then, like, no, no, no. <laughs> you were thinking some you... sort of Bridget Jones two situation, I know, right? <laughs> and then like that um, you've been, um you? Oh, you're on the Queen's Honours list, Ricky. I'm like, oh, what? I'm like, who are you? Who is this? <laughs>
4: Oh my god, that is incredible!
5: So, so I was delighted, and obviously, you know, my parents were thrilled. Um, and yeah, it was great. You know, I was very young at the time, so it was super exciting.
4: And um, so yeah, no, it was great. It was well, really it's great. Well, it's very inspirational um, from my side uh, as a presenter to see someone like you who's who's done such an incredible amount of work in presenting and for women, um, but also that you've done all of this. You were you were the co-founder of Women Inspiration Enterprise Network. Mm. You've obviously got yes. an MBA incredibly young, and you've released this book and, and, and in general you work a lot to sort of I guess, provide knowledge to people about being a woman in the industry and also kind of working with all the different uh, things you cover in the book in terms of uh, basically diversifying the world, essentially, and trying yes. to make the yes. LGBT, LGBT community, um, the disabled community and sort of like change. I think it's just an important thing to highlight how much you've you've kind of done to, to change society. I think it's really exciting. Do you feel oh. that yourself or do you just think of it as like, you know, your day job? I think it's I think you know it's what we
5: all do. I mean, the fact that you're where you are, Harriet, means, you know, the next woman coming through, it's going to be that much easier for her because you exist. And I think it's one of those things where we're all so used to what we consider normal and what we consider who should have what, who should be paid what, who should be in whatever position. And I think actually it's just such a waste of talent. In not having a setup where everybody can contribute to the best of their ability, you know, who knows what talents could be hidden in somebody that society doesn't consider uh, valuable? So, you know, in our industry, we're often uh, you know banging the drama about equal pay for women. But, you know how often do you see a disabled person on our screens you know how often do you see somebody who's on the spectrum you know how often do you see somebody over the age of 65 you know it's all of these things that we're just so used to and i think the problem is sometimes when you only look at things from the lens of your own perspective and where you are in terms of exclusion you miss the bigger picture and i think it's about making sure that we're inclusive and we're asking for equality for everybody because that's the only thing
4: that's sustainable. And I think it was that's it's so true exactly what you say and also it's an honor to do this job anyway and I think if, if the fact that um, people are taking the time now to like Frances McDormand at the Oscars when mm. she was talking about um, the the rider you know the diversity rider that all art, that all actors should put on it well I'm not working on this film until I know that you're mm. hiring a percentage of people from different races different cultures mm whether they're gay or straight or, you know, any part of the LGBTQ plus community. Mm. And I think the fact that we're all talking about it, surely it's getting to a point, a boiling point, I guess. But uh, do you feel like it, we've been at a boiling point for a while now or, or has yeah, it, is it? Yeah, of course. Um, um, uh, no, no, sorry, yeah, go
5: on. Yeah, 100%. You know, one of the things that I look at in the book is a lot of research and data. And all of the research shows we're nowhere near where we should be. And, you know, I completely commend what Francis was saying, and it's right. But it's one of those things where you can only really do that if you're a big Hollywood star. Yeah. You know, with if two you're Oscars. not. A, <laughs> with two Oscars under your belt. You know, if you're not sort of the sort of. Um, uh, what do they call it? The. Uh, ne- what's the name? You know, like the, the, when your name ends in life. What's that? The tent pole or whatever they call it. If you're not that name, it's yeah. very hard. To demand that individually but what you can do is demand it as a collective mm-hmm. so you can get together as a group you know and get together and say actually we think x and all of the research shows it makes more sense because you appeal to a wider audience At the end of the day society is diverse you know we're not saying oh let's be diverse for the sake of it we're saying well, let's be diverse because these people exist so actually if you create products and content that include them, that's a bigger audience. It's just common sense, it's not even, it's not charity, it's not even just the right thing to do, it's a smart thing to do.
4: And when you started off in your career, did you imagine that you, because it's quite, a, I mean, I, I don't think of myself as a very sort of book smart person. Um, I definitely can talk for a living and that's what I do. I, did you feel when you started out that you, this was where you're going to go and you wanted to go into this sort of like, it's quite academic and quite serious. And the, but you know, you go into quite detail with, with the percentages and, and actually how, how sort of in, in, it's just very, all, all very intense. The, the book, you know, you don't, it's not just a fly by night sort of conflict, you know, You've properly gone into it and and kind of looked at the academic side of it. Was that quite nerve-wracking, or were you quite naturally... Yeah,
5: and and I think, like you, I'm not an academic, which is why I partnered with academics. So I partnered with Oxford University, and I partnered with the LSE. So all of the data and research they did. Mm. And what I kept saying to them is, Look, I'm not an academic, so you need to condense this in a form where I can understand it. Yeah. Because if I can understand it, that means anyone can understand it. Yeah. And I'll point and I think actually this is back to what we're talking about in terms of the elitism. This stuff is always in the domain of a privileged few. And it's almost as if those of us that are just, you know, normal and regular Uh, are somehow excluded from being aware of that kind of research. And what I wanted to do was to condense it and make it palatable for a mass audience. So it's really, I mean, it's not complicated at all. It's a very... Uh, it's a very informative read but it's also an easy read.
4: But I think that's so important because like at school, I always found at school that I'd be listening and paying attention but not really understanding because they're just teaching you yes. in, in a way to to pass an exam, aren't they? Basically. Yeah, they
5: are. Totally. And also it's it, you know, it's taught in a way for you know, a certain sector of society. Yeah. And, and if that's not how you're raised at home, you think you've got a whole uh, added extra layer to learn. At school, if your parents aren't taking you to museums over the summer and, you know, they're not reading the classics to you for bedtime stories and all of that stuff, that's a whole added layer to learn. And so I think it's really important that we make information accessible
4: for all and obviously it 's international women 's day this week, and we 're celebrating Yay! yeah i 'm <laughs> so excited this week seems like it 's like it's an amazing year isn 't it yeah. yeah I feel like yeah. i 'm like in a dream a little bit because it 's obviously we 're celebrating he for she arts week on fubar radio with u n women yes. um, and it 's yeah which i 'm just i 'm honored to be part of it anyway, but I wanted to know. What, what How do you feel about this day of the year? How do you feel about this sort of allocation of time where we 're celebrating women? do you think it's, do you think it's a positive thing or do you think we sh- we, you know we shouldn't be doing it because we shouldn't have to do it?
5: Well, you know what I think is really positive Harriet think about it you know so i I was living in America uh up until a couple of years ago, and um the whole i w d to sort of, the as it were, and all of the excitement around it and and so on, was really big in the States. And and it was quite controversial when it sort of started, I mean, it's been going for years, obviously, Mm. but it's only been in the last sort of 15 years or so where it's become so big and, and so mass. And so about a decade ago in America, when it started happening, there were a lot of people who were up in arms that so were kind of like why have we got a day for women that's discrimination and blah 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 and then <laughs> and then and then you know it's so wonderful the way it's become such a global thing yeah. and it's gone from a day really to a month because it's, it's this whole it's a whole month of, of march you Yeah, know, there's something going on right through to the end of the month and what i look forward to is when this just becomes the norm really where we're celebrating women every day and i think What I really think is important is that we make sure that this is also inclusive of men. Mm -hmm. So that men realize that female empowerment is also male empowerment. Because actually, when you empower women, you empower the family, you empower men, you empower children you empower society it's good for everybody so I yes, totally I'm
4: agree what's I totally agree with the man okay. side of that as well because I think mm. it can be a bit scary and intimidating for anybody in any yeah. you know talking to someone um in all different sides of all different aspects of life different races uh, you know whether you're a part of the LGBT community and if you're mm. not if you're on the other side of that and you're learning yeah. and you're and you're yeah. kind of getting to the point and where you're
5: scared of what to yeah, say. Yeah. you say you yeah
4: <laughs> and it's nice because I feel like a lot of men especially that we've had on on my show recently a lot of the male musicians mm. um mm. they all sort of talk about and they've started to talk about it you know l- like freely and saying i'm mm. really interested and I'm, I'm i'm starting to check myself is what a lot of them are saying how wonderful isn't that wonderful i love it and i think it's re-
5: and also we have to allow them to to say to say what they're confused by and not sure of. You know, let's also provide a safe space for that too, because I think it's the only way we move forward as a society. Because if you look at what's happened, let's say if you look at what's happened in the last couple of years um post Brexit, whether you're a Remainer or a Lever is is irrelevant. I mean I was a big I am a big Remainer but that's not the point. As am the I the point is It's fabulous, (laughs) loving that. So the point is, if you look at the kind of xenophobia that was able to do a really ugly head, to me, that's because what we did was with the PC movement, we changed behaviour, we made it unacceptable to say certain things, but you can't police what people think. And so the minute somebody comes out and sort of stokes those flames of fear... And then also the sort of the, the environment is, is fertile enough to sort of allow those sorts of views to come to the surface. You get what we've seen in the last couple of years. And I think that's why it's so important, even around the issue of gender equality and all the stuff that we're, 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 we're quite rightly calling out in terms of um, Me Too and Time's Up. We also have to make sure that we're changing hearts and minds so that this is sustainable and that this change is long-lasting.
4: You're so right, because when that happened, I was so shocked. About yeah. the, the levels of we like... like yeah. Where did this come from? Yeah, And I was yeah. like, we... Because I've grown up with it being like anybody that I've... I've had very liberal parents and I and like, you know, they brought me up to, to sort of believe that no one was different and, and that actually you need to mm. recognise the sort of, you know, different facets of the society and like enjoy them. Yeah. And that actually yeah. it was embarrassing to be any other... Have any other thought process, be any... Mm. Sort of be negative about any sect of society was really mm. embarrassing. And then suddenly it mm. wasn't. And it was like, whoa, no. you don't well, think that's really yeah. embarrassing to kind of say yeah. that, say and do those things. But you're right, it's about yeah. reteaching people, isn't it?
5: Yeah, totally. And also letting people voice their frustrations. That's the other thing. We don't allow people to actually say, you know what? Look, I don't really like this. This country's changing too much for me. Hang on a minute. I mean, let's allow people to voice their frustrations. And then we can have the debate. We can say why this is actually a good thing or what the realities are or why somebody's lost their job. It's not because, you know, a Polish person has come over and taken your job. Actually, no. It's because, you know, We've allowed big business to ship these jobs overseas and we've closed down factories and coal mines. And so it's like, let's have the real conversation and let's let people be honest. That's a problem. We don't allow people to be honest. We shout them down the minute they, they, they voice their concerns. And therefore, that's when you get the kind of problems we see ourselves faced with now.
4: And you, yeah, because they harbour the feelings and they don't
5: deal with them. yeah. God. And valid feelings. It must be... You know, it's funny. I was I at was, uh, um, uh, a panel discussion uh, recently with um, Afua Hirsch, who's got the book British, yeah. and we were talking about um, this stuff. And I was saying we have to have compassion for people who have a problem with their communities becoming unrecognisable in such a short space of time. And I use uh, what's going on uh, in Ghana as an example. So my parents are from Ghana. And um, in the last few years, there's been an influx of Chinese immigrants into the country. And they are now uh, trading in the marketplaces and all, all sorts of things. And there are a lot of Ghanaians up in arms for the same reasons the people in, in, in working-class communities over here are up in arms over immigration. So this is something that isn't only uh, um, uh, synonymous with Western societies. People find change difficult, and you have to guide them through that process, and you have to let them voice their concerns, and then we sort of change together, as it were.
4: June Sarpong for Prime Minister. After you, Harriet. No, no. Honestly, <laughs> listening to you, it's so inspirational because you've got, the. it's that knowledge of like actually seeing it from a 360 perspective rather than from my, from one point of view to another, you're actually looking at the whole picture and that's, that's I think, the most important thing and also one of the main reasons why we need to have this day so that we can discuss and learn yeah. about this stuff. Um, June, I want to know, um, who Ooh. would you say was your inspirational woman, or women that in your life you feel like you've always gone to or you've, or you've thought of as a real oh, inspiration to you? Yeah, what a lovely question. So one
5: of them is a, is a friend of mine, actually, and I'm so lucky to have her as a mentor, uh, a woman called Baroness McDonough, um, And she's a fabulous Labour politician um, who's just always been supportive of me. Um, and helped guide my career. She's a real great sounding board. You know, if I'm ever confused about anything, I can call her up and say, Margaret, what do you think about this? And she's like, well, don't do that, do this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, everybody needs a Margaret in their life. Um, So she's one for sure. Um, I love Eleanor Roosevelt, and I would suggest everybody research her life. She was amazing, You know, she's a woman who really came into her own and stood up for equality um, during a time where it wasn't fashionable. Yeah, yeah. And she came from a very privileged background, but she still cared for those who weren't as fortunate as herself. Um, So love Eleanor. Um And then um I also... Oh, Tina Turner. Oh, ooh, yes! yes! Love Tina. I cannot oh wait God. for the musical, by the way. Oh, my God. I love <laughs> Tina so much. Love Tina. I mean, love Tina. When you think about what she's Oh, my God. Become, it's, it's unreal. It's miracle. Unreal. Her life really is unreal, isn't it? And, and she still looks fabulous. Can you imagine? I mean, she's still hot. I mean, she's she's so hot. Something? So hot, so yeah, she's one of my favorite
4: artists of all time, so I'm really glad you picked her. Me too, yeah,
5: yeah.
4: Love Tina. I'm going to get off who, this who and go and,
5: who's, who's go and listen to
4: Tiny Dancer immediately. Yes, you, immediately. Um, Other than Tina, who else do you love? Well, I would say because Tina, my dad used to listen a lot to Tina. He was, my dad was very like pro women and just loved women oh, loads. Oh, cool. um, and Tina Turner hasn't had a massive impact on my life in that respect because we used to listen to, him to her together. But aside from yeah. her, I'm very um, into Rihanna at the moment. I think, love Rihanna. What in fact, she's I'm doing. Too. With her on my list, yes. yeah. She just
5: doesn't give a damn, does she? I love her,
4: and I just think she's doing so much for women because she's she mm. gets a lot of flack a, a lot of the mm. time, and I think for, for, mm. for loads of different things for um, mm. you know, living her life basically. She's just yes. turned 30 and she's I love it, achieved so much. She's she's um, she works with um, she basically does loads of work for children um, in countries yes. where they can't afford education. She does a lot of education, she does a lot of radio awareness for um, basically her phila- philanthropy, which I never can say, um, is yes. next level. She does so much. She got a um, honorary hard Harvard degree because she does... She did, does, didn't she? Yeah. yeah. And she looked fabulous picking it up. That suit was major. I know. <laughs> she's, but she's just like everything because she's like, do you know what? Yeah. I've made my music and now I'm going to make an album that I, I want to make. and It doesn't matter what anyone yeah. else thinks. Yeah.
5: I love it. And experimenting with all the rapping. And I just love it. And also, I love how free she is. It's so nice to see a a liberated woman, like a woman who just does what she wants to do. And in a way, Madonna was that, you know, Madonna was that for my era. Yeah. Um, You know, I loved Madonna growing up. And so, yeah, I, I put them in the same sort of category.
4: Well, I think we've got good taste in women.
5: We do. We certainly do. Well, it's hard not to. There's so many great women around.
4: That's very true. That's, it's hard to actually pick, isn't it? It mm-hmm. is. June, it's been so lovely. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Bye.
3: Yeah, yo. yeah. Yeah, yeah. More la la. Yeah, yo. Yeah, yo. yeah. This but
0: I have my money. Fubar Radio and UN Women UK present a live 24-hour radio show. 24
3: hours. Now on the phone lines, we've got Jessica Foster Q. Jessica, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very good. Now, uh, Jessica, you co-host uh, Guilty Feminist Podcast, or well, the Mighty Guilty Feminist Podcast. You're a yep. comedian. You're a writer. Let's let's start right at the beginning, so our our listeners um, can get to know you a bit better. How did it start with you and comedy when you were younger? You know, who were your favourite comedians?
1: Oh God. um... So when I was a kid, my favourite comedians were Tommy Cooper and Rick Mayle. Oh, so, no. I Rick Mayle, amazing! I know. Exactly, basically, lots of lots of poo jokes. Um, <laughs> yeah.
3: No. When did it start with you thinking I, I I might want to do this as an actual job? Or it, did it take a long time to get to that point?
1: Um, quite a long time, yeah. I think. Um, well, I started sort of doing lots of improvised comedy, kind of as a hobby, really, with a bit of temping on the side, not sure what I wanted to do. And then some of the people I was in an improv group with, people like um, Sarah Pascoe and Carrie Lloyd, they started dabbling in stand-up. Some of the boys did as well, and I thought, I'll give it a go. And then it was like smack, really. It was very, very
3: addictive. It is very addictive. It really, really is. Um, and so um, from there, you know, so being a writer and comedian goes hand in hand.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The writing has to start before the performing, really. Otherwise, you'd have nothing to say. I mean, (laughs) I say that, I did lots of improv, but, like, you've got to be writing all the time now. It's like the hungriest profession there is, I think. Mm. I mean, I'm sure there are other very competitive professions, but if you want to be working with it as your job at any level, not even kind of TV, radio, even if you just want weekend work, reasonably well paid, you know, live work, you, you can't be... Yeah, used to be a time I think in the 90s and even in the noughties where there would be comedians trotting out the same 20 minutes mm. for 15 years. And you know, I think some of them are, are still around, <laughs> but they're not. Get, they're all they're all pretty disappointed with their lives now because they're not they're as inundated as they used to be. I think basically, yeah, the writing is so important.
3: You know, where is comedy at the moment? I mean, I know we've gone through phases of, you know, maybe slapstick. Um, you get the weird and your wonderful, say, the League of Gentlemen. Where would you say comedy is now? Um, what is the type of comedy that people are more attracted to?
1: Um, there will always be massive, huge, mainstream hits like Mrs. Brown's Boys and Two Pints of Lager and Miranda and yeah. Vicar of Dibley and stuff like that. And I think some of those shows are, some of those shows are incredible. Um, only now, I think, there's a bit of an appetite for riskier stuff, especially because so much comedy is being consumed online. All of a sudden, that seems to have been acknowledged by commissioners. So some some really bold, brilliant stuff is being made for online formats. Um, and then when it's invariably successful, it gets moved to TV. So, yeah, it's an interesting time where things are in flux, but I think because of the breadth of um, the internet... Um, there's a lot of more interesting ways for people to make it now in mm-hmm. comedy other than just kind of doing all the panel shows, which kind of used to be the the that pinnacle of having made it beyond uh live work, which and now it's so broad, you know, there's podcasts of all sorts.
3: Well, let's look at podcasts. Um, you co-host the Mighty Guilty Feminist podcast. Yeah. Tell us about that. How did that come about? Um, and there is a there's a quote. Um, I think I got it off your website and you say, I'm I'm a feminist, but I detagged myself from a picture at a woman's conference where we're all standing in front of a sign which said empowered, not coward because my ankles look fat. I think that's brilliant. I can, I can totally, um, yeah, resonate with I that. I think that's one of the difference, you know. And I don't think that's one of mine. I think
1: that's who's the main host of it. Um, but yeah, we do. It, the podcast is about the insecurities of women who are trying to be good feminists in modern day. Yes. Yeah. The, each episode of the Ghost of Feminist starts with an "I'm a feminist" but, which is, a like a one-liner basically. So you'll say I'm a feminist, but my favourite type of apple is called Pink Lady. It's that kind of thing. (laughs) And a lot of them are a lot more brutal and honest than that. But yeah, I mean, it's cool. It's Deborah Francis White's podcast and I co-host it with her sometimes. I was a guest on there one time and Deborah and I get on and then we had a really good chemistry. And so now I get to co-host it all the time, which is an absolute joy. It's really fun, like dynamic. I think Deborah is like the boss and the sensible one, and the one who keeps everything on track in terms of correctness and inclusivity. And I think why it works so well when I get to work with her is because I get to be the kind of grubby, mm-hmm. anarchic, naughty one, you know. And um, So it's a joy. But, yeah, I mean, I've just started my own podcast about eating called Hoovering, which I'm really proud of, <laughs> and that's been great gum so far. Hoovering. Uh, well, tell yeah. us a little bit more about Hoovering. Um, I, for years, I wrote articles for an online magazine called Standard Issue, um, which is um, kind of an alternative to all the terrible dog shit literature that's out there for women that's full of kind of makeup and, oh, kittens um, and just pictures that are designed to make you feel shit. So it's an antidote <laughs> to that that kind of acknowledged that women are into everything. Um, and I wrote a food column for that called Hoovering because it was a feminist. A magazine, so it 's an extension of that, but it's not kind of I would write about stuff that i'd eaten there, and the podcast instead is conversations with interesting people I've started off talking to um comedians because they're who I have access to but more and more as the series goes on I'm talking to chefs and foodies and athletes and stuff like that but basically we share some food and then we have a really honest conversation about eating. It's not about food, it's about eating because I think it's complicated and I hardly know anyone that has a seamless relationship with eating. Yeah I mean I've just seen the whole thing's fascinating and I'm obsessed with food so I've basically set myself up with where part of my job can be eating with interesting people and talking about food so it's the dream.
3: Sounds like the absolute dream. Now, we are speaking to you, um, obviously, as part of our fundraising broadcast with UN Women UK's He for She campaign. Who yeah. are the women that mean a lot to you? Um, maybe even uh, female comedians that you look up to?
1: Oh, I mean, all. I <laughs> there brilliant. are so many. It's really yeah. hard question because there are so many stunning women in comedy but i mean j brand um, dawn french oh, i love them oh, carolina Hearn growing oh, up amazing. as well i just love everything she's ever turned out mm. julia davis i kind of hate this question because i'm going to miss people out like kathy burke these are the people who i would you know i weep at the altar of jenny eclair i had i got to work with her in recently for a documentary i've made for, for four extra about motherhood and she just made me cry laughing she's so funny but you know they're like i suppose without reading them they're like the elders there are comedians working now who blow my mind i think mm. they're, um, let's say some unsung slightly less sung ones shall we say but like i think that jen brister is exquisite exemplary um Oh god, it's too hard. I don't want to miss people out. I've been doing some tool support for Catherine Ryan. I think she's the most sophisticated stand-up. There's a, a comedian called Lou Sanders who's insane and beautiful and wild and creative. There's loads. There's too many to name. I could. Basically, we need a longer interview if you're going to ask me that question. I
3: compl- Yeah, I completely agree. Um, do you have any words for aspiring women comedians who want to get into comedy? Yeah,
1: I just work really hard. Yeah, I and graft. It. I mean, it's graft. It's one of the few creative professions where, to an extent, at least in terms of live work, there's some meritocracy. So the harder mm. you work, the better you'll get, and the better you get, the better your career will be. Up to a point, but, I mean, that puts you in good stead for the first five to ten years.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, to be honest, if you're working in this industry for five, ten years, you're doing pretty well. Um, yeah. Do you see that divide between men and women um, within comedy? Is there still a huge divide? Is it changing? What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, there's still a divide. I don't know. I think it's all depending on the level that you're working at. Where the divide is enormous still is on things like radio shows. There are absolutely loads of men in comedy, uh, comedians, who get given their own radio show and then they just get all their male mates on. There isn't one female comedian with her own like, big radio station show and occasionally they're allowed to be a sidekick I mean, hopefully that stuff's kind of changing. I mean, there's so many. There's such a backlash whenever a channel decides to put one woman per episode on a panel show. You know, that's one out of six places. We're half the population. I mean, (laughs) tons of work to do. And it's improving in terms of live work. But as a rule, there are still probably half promoters, I'd say, that if they book a woman, it will be for the short middle spot and it will be just the one. And they're some of the good guys.
3: Yeah, it's so, so true. It's so, sabbatry. I
1: mean, do you know what? Things have got better and better and better. And if you'd asked me when I was new at comedy, I'd have said, no, I don't think it's any different for women, blah, blah, blah. And um, my God, 10 years doing this and you realise it's really different for women.
3: Yeah, exciting time to see how it is going to change and when it's yeah. going to change. I think well, that's all we've got time for, I'm afraid. We're going to yeah, put it. out there on our socials about your tour as well, The Silence of the Nans. Oh, thank um, you. It's so brilliant title in itself. Um, oh, thank you. And are you enjoying the tour? Are at the moment
1: yeah absolutely loving it it's my first tour and i um i i was nervous you know i was under the impression that first tours are pretty horrible because i know they can be but i've been so lucky i think because of the guilty feminists and stuff like that but they're tiny little venues but they're starting to, some of them are sold out and really
3: happy that i'm doing it basically so yeah oh, that's it's all fantastic good. fantastic well thank you so so much for talking to us and can you take care bye. bye. I do love how I say bye. I really, really do. Very high pitched. Um, if you have just joined us, uh, we are a few minutes until 4am. This is uh, Foo Bar Radio. Uh, I do like my voice is beginning to get deep and husky. I'm currently joined by the beautiful... Faith, or I am being so nice to you, Faith. I've been upgraded from lovely yeah, to beautiful. Yeah, I'm quite enjoying this, thanks, darling. Thank you very, very much. We are here for our live 24 uh, hour marathon, all to do with the He for She campaign, thanks to UN Women UK and Arts Week. Um, Faith, there is another reason why you're here, not just helping me out, your beloved friend not
0: just because you made me not no. because
3: I forced you <laughs> okay okay there's another reason why you're here
0: there is well as we've been speaking about I am a journalist and um, that work takes me to loads of different places sometimes it's lovely sometimes it's Seychelles <laughs> I know how much you hated me for that really did hate. Um, but other times it's not quite so glamorous and um, in April I'll be going with one of my friends uh, to Iraq to Sinjar And the reason we're going there is because now that Islamic State has been defeated and left the area, there are tens of thousands of people who, women and children particularly, who are trying to kind of recover both emotionally and physically from the scars. I mean, you know, I've met some of the women who escaped Islamic State and who had been held as sex slaves. I mean... Nadia Murad's sort of the I'm mean, gonna hesitate to use the word poster child, but mm-hmm. you know, she's the kind of face yeah. of the campaign and um like she was abused by two men at the same time until the mm. point that she passed out, she fell unconscious one night, and that's just one night of Horrendous. the the months that she was held, and thousands of women were held. But now the Islamic State has been kind of battled back, and they are still holding women, so they haven't been entirely defeated. They are still holding these women. But we do need to move to kind of like more of a kind of recovery phase and there's two hospitals in the Sinjar area and they are treating all of these thousands of people but they have nothing. They don't have any medical supplies. They don't have any medicine. There's um, a babies arriving just with simple things like dehydration and they're dying because they can't be treated and there's no ambulances to take them to any other places where they can be treated. So my friend Fiona, who is sort of a superwoman, um, she volunteers with a charity called Yazda. And she has gathered up five 40-foot containers. So to put that in perspective, you know the massive lorries you see on the motorways? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's five of them full of medical supplies, worth £300,000 that (sighs) she is um, getting driven out to Iraq. And then we're going out and when we go for every... So we've, we've... Raised all the money to send it all out. But for every £450 extra on top of that, we will take out this massive pack of medicine with us when we go. And the medicine is really important because there isn't even paracetamol there. They're having to smuggle... Paracetamol over the border from Syria, and that 's obviously a great cost and a great danger because every time you cross the border like it's really dangerous mm. you know there 's still Islamic state there's still other terror groups, obviously the government forces there aren 't particularly friendly either um so these people are really struggling. They're really fighting, and um, yeah, we've we've been like campaigning. Um, Amal Clooney is involved in in the same campaign. She spoke at the United Nations, um, really quite passionately, and made it. She was it was declared a genocide, um, and now we'll be heading out there we're going to take medicine with us so yeah i mean i'm on twitter um at faith or if anyone wants to help us with that um we do have a sort of facebook fundraising campaign for that and we'll be taking as much medicine as we can that's fantastic
3: yes do look and your uh, twitter handle again
0: one more time faith Faith or brilliant thank
3: you very much faith it's been amazing to have you here um we are going to listen to um, um a very quick song don't go anywhere we'll be back shortly